You're listening to The Self-Worth Circle, hosted by Julie Haxel and Eva Eslander. We are here to remind you to raise your self-worth and wear your invisible crown. It's time. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of The Self-Worth Circle. My name is Eva and I'm so excited for today's episode because our guest is such a special person for me. She is my teacher for years and I know her from Sayulita where both of us resided for years. Carmela is an integrative psychotherapist. She's a certified yoga teacher, um, certified yoga therapy teacher. She's a meditation guide. She is a goddess, guidance intuitive and a sound healer. When I lived in Sayulita, I would go to her home and we would do weekly sessions. Um, she would play her bowls and she would guide, guide me through these integrative yoga nidra sessions. And we also worked together with yoga retreats. She did goddess readings and she is just such a powerful goddess. I feel like she's walking the path of the divine feminine, which is why I really felt that it's important to have her on our show. She's such an inspiration. Um, welcome, Carmela. And today we have a special way to initiate our episode because Carmela will begin our session with playing her beautiful crystal bowls. Ah, thank you, Eva. So let us begin our session. We can chat in a bit. But let us begin by inviting all of us to set the intention for healing. I invite you to go to that place within you that is your inner resource, a place in you of safety. Know that Ava and I are here today to share words and energy of empowerment for you and your goddesses within.
that you might receive that which will serve you in your power. Right now, right here, in this body, in this moment, you are the divine feminine. Maybe you are raging at the injustice in the world. Maybe you are loving and compassionate, a mother. Maybe you are caring for the planet is your focus. Maybe you are celebrating with your sisters in a glass of wine right now. Maybe you are finding heart-wrenching solitude during this time of isolation. No matter what you wear, where you live, how you decorate your physical being, your home temple, you are the divine feminine. So embrace your brilliant light. Be brave to perhaps explore your shadow and join Ava and me today with the intention of healing for us and all of Mother Earth's beings. Blessed be. Thank you for that. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful and powerful way to start this podcast episode. Wow, I really noticed how I've missed the sound of not just only the crystal bowls, but also the sound of your voice. Because, you know, just from working with you for so long, it really kind of brings me to a very calm place. So thank you for that. Oh, it's a delight to reconnect with you, goddess. And we recently had our birthdays too. <laughs> we did. Capricorns <laughs> unite. <laughs> yes. Moving into this new year. Yeah. So I will hand it off to you, my dear. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. Just so honored, um, grateful to have you. Uh, like I mentioned in the intro, you're just such a goddess. Um, I feel like you are the divine feminine and uh, a manifestation of that energy. So really powerful to have you on the show. But I want to start um, our our podcast today just with kind of like telling our listeners about your life your upbringing your background and and how you came to be the special goddess that you are today so do you can you just tell our listeners a little bit about your upbringing and your background about my upbringing okay i 
Well, I, I grew up on the East Coast in the United States. I grew up in a little state called Delaware as a child. Um, when I first moved to California, um, people used to ask me, what state's that in? Um, and mm. now Delaware, because of course our president-elect, Joe Biden, is from Delaware. Okay, so that's where I grew up. And I will not deny that I was very eager to leave Delaware. I mean, even as a little girl, I had visions of other places to be. But I think I was very fortunate in that I did grow up in a family where I was, I had piano lessons and ballet lessons. I rode horses. There was rivers. I went to the ocean. Delaware's on the ocean. I grew up by the sea. I grew up with animals and dogs and cats and pet turtles. And I was able to have really the great fortune of all of that in my childhood. After that, I think the goddess that really uh, affected me at a young age was Aphrodite. Having been a dancer, I was in a modern dance company. I, I had a contract for modeling. I moved to New York City. And it was there that I really did discover as a young woman the beauty of the body, the strength of the body as a dancer, having the beauty of a body that I was able to model and do that. But also, I wasn't empowered with my body. I was still operating as an object you know, in a male-dominated culture. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like that chapter was important, and yet it taught me that I, I wasn't really in control of my body. You know, do you understand what, I, what I'm saying here? That we yeah. can be dancers on a stage. We can be in a modern dance company. My body was more something that I needed to diet and strengthen and, and, and like that. It was a tool, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, control. Mm -hmm. And very much about controlling it. Mm -hmm. And so I left that world of modern dance company and modeling and doing that in New York. And I discovered and rediscovered the power of my body in Malibu, in California. I became a surfer and I was in my twenties and surfing enabled me to reclaim my body and my strength. And let me tell you, Ava, I know you surfed and we know each other from Sayulita, but back then in the early 70s, there were not many women surfers. You know, it was very male yeah. dominant. And those boards were huge. And guess what? Uh, there were no leashes. So when, you know, when you think you were going to lose the wave, it would, it would be dive for cover. But surfing and my relationship with the ocean renewed my goddess spirit of feeling connected to the ocean and something bigger than me. And my body was serving me. It was no longer an object. And so my relationship with surfing in the water really did 
move things around for me. My uh, Under my bachelor's degree, I studied uh, the sociology of sex roles. I've always been interested in the roles of women and men and power in this world. I studied that as a bachelor, my bachelor's degree. And then I moved to San Francisco where I got a master's degree in feminist psychotherapy. So I am not a newcomer to being involved with the role of the female and the male. I, 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 I was a go-go dancer with drag queens, by the way, in San Francisco. My best friend, a transgender woman. I work very much in the gay, lesbian community. I danced with, with drag queens. I reclaimed my body as not being just feminine or an object of beauty, but to, to really transport myself to having a relationship with myself and with others that went beyond the stringent male-female roles. And I'm thrilled with the work, and we need to do much more, with how we've come to understand so much better that the bodies that we are born into are not how we identify energetically. This is significant because many people say, is the goddess archetype just for women? No. All genders benefit from working with the divine feminine. Even just that right there is medicine. What you just said, like... Every being benefits from working with the divine feminine. And I truly see uh, there is a shift now in the collective consciousness and people are waking up to this. It's a slow transition and a slow shift, but it's happening. And uh, uh, it's, it's, that was just so interesting to hear your story and and I didn't know that you you had moved around so much. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for for sharing that. So so in this journey, um, how did how did your spiritual um, journey or connection to spirit start? Do you remember maybe a specific event or a time in your life, or was it something that was slowly building up? Well. I remember when I was a little girl, maybe around six or seven years old, where I started seeing colors around people. I would walk into a room and the adults would all hush. You know that thing when you're a kid where you walk in and you realize that they shut up, that they were talking about things that you weren't meant to hear? that experience as a child. And, and I remember very clearly walking into a room and seeing red, you know, around my grandmother or seeing, uh, seeing colors, sensing energy. And I realized that this was something for me not to talk about. Years later, I learned that I was seeing chakras. Years later, I learned that I'm an empath. 
Um, years later, I realized that I have an intuitive ability. As a child, I experienced it as sensing that which was beyond my realm of knowing. Um, in that, that was the earliest for me. Then I realized that when I was about in eighth grade or so, I was reared Catholic, okay, Roman Catholic. And it, it stopped making sense for me. It, 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 you know, I remember, you know, challenging, you know, in classes where they said, well, you know, God is everywhere. And I remember plain as day, God is everywhere. Okay, God's everywhere. And I asked the priest, well, if God is everywhere, and you say that hell is the absence of God, surely God must be in hell too. Well, Ava, that didn't go over so well. Um, <laughs> questioning questioning um, male authority, you know, questioning male authority. And if we say God is everywhere, indeed, God is everywhere and God is in hell. And to me, that was a turning point in my life. And now I realize that that is the work that we are doing when we are working with the shadow and the light. Yes, uh, it's always about the shadow and the light. There is no, none of us are one or the other. And for the church to tell us that there is, it's not my realm of belief. Um, after that incident, I was um, kicked out of uh, Catholic school. And, and I will say this, it was really a blessing. And uh, my parents were activists. So I got a lot of support for speaking up. I'm fortunate. My father marched with Cesar Chavez and the farm workers. My father was a union leader. He marched with Martin Luther King. He rode buses to uh, areas to encourage African-Americans to vote. Um, so I came from a family of activists. So I guess the good news is, is I got some support for speaking up to the priest and that liberated my education uh, to a school with a much better art program. <laughs> mm. So that's a little bit. Is, is there something more to say about that? Well, I think it's very interesting what you mentioned about like duality and um, like the kind of honoring both sides. And uh, I feel that even in the spiritual community, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing. And when you only just look at kind of positivity and it can almost become uh, toxic positivity if you're not um, at all recognizing the shadow part of, of, you know, not just ourselves, but everything. Um, so I think that's why also um, yoga nidra, is this such a powerful tool because it does really use these two two energies two aspects of of everything so um 
Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, when you talk about that, that's really, it's so true, isn't it? It's, it's a, I call it the tyranny of positivity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels to, it, 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 and um, on Instagram and, you know, we see all of these memes, you know, with, with, um, you know, think positive, this, that, and the other. And don't get me wrong. I uh, cultivate joy in my life. I mean, I spent a few years of my life traveling around the world, teaching laughter yoga to ignite the Anandamaya Kosha. So mm-hmm. I am a believer in the healing of laughter. But let's be honest, it's a practice. You know, it's a choice. When we are denying our suffering, when we are in denial of our pain and our sadness, I agree with you. It becomes toxic. It's toxic positivity. Um, Richard Miller is my teacher. I bow to Richard Miller. He is an amazing man. He's a PhD psychologist. He is the founder of Integrative Restoration Yoga Nidra. He journeyed to India in his early 20s, learned to speak Sanskrit so that he could translate the ancient teachings of Yoga Nidra. Oh, wow. For our listeners today who only know of Yoga Nidra as just guided meditation, integrative restoration Yoga Nidra is different. It is the ability to banish duality, at least glimpses of holding both, holding the pain in our body while seeking out a place in our body that is pain-free and free of constriction, holding them both simultaneously. Honoring the sadness in our heart. Does it have a color? Does it have an image? Where do we feel it? Memories. Is there an animal that shows up? Is there a person? Feeling whatever emotion it is that's presenting and honoring it. Release. And then go to a place in your heart that perhaps is the opposite of that. Finding a place in your heart where maybe there is some compassion, there is some forgiveness, holding that, holding them simultaneously. What this does is that it lays down new neurotransmitters And now I like to say that yoga nidra is really the ancient ones. Think about it, Eva. These these people were practicing this thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. It's an ancient practice of non-duality that now neuroscience can prove. We can see now, because I was invited, because of my background, 
Um, and I, I, I worked at UC Berkeley. I, I taught at UCSF at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. I was very fortunate to work with a lot of physicians and people who had access you know, to tracking and to hooking me up and other meditators, that we could see that when we are holding the pain, the suffering, and the opposite of that, whatever that is for us, that the brain responds by lighting up new neurosynapses. So ancient science, modern neuroscience, they've come together. And it's precisely what you're saying. It's embracing the shadow and embracing whatever it is that we define as the opposite without always denying the pain that we're feeling. I think that's very significant right now with what people are watching on the news and processing and so forth. How does it play out for you in your life? holding the light in the shadow. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's so true. It's, it's kind of, it's really allowing for, for the shadow to be there instead of, of just kind of denying it. Um, And then that way it's, you can move through it. Um, it even the, the saying, what you resist persists, it, there is wisdom in that because when you deny or neglect something, it's, it's just gonna make it bigger almost until it's gonna burst, so. Yeah, uh, I agree, it, it gives it power. See, it does. The, I find in working with individuals that so much what we're doing is to be brave and courageous enough to look at our shadow. Um, I work with men and women, although I will say right now, most of my clients are women who are coming into their power in their late thirties and forties. I'd say most of my clients right now and a big part of what I see as their immense growth is the courage to look at their shadow stuff, to begin to not analyze and blame the mother, but to recognize, hmm, I was parented by a narcissist mother. Maybe my people-pleasing ways are not serving me so well now as I wish to embrace my power. You know, even the things that we identify about ourselves as being our strength, you know, uh, these can be viewed as the shadow or embraced as focusing on the light of that. I think it's about the ongoing process of reflecting on and shining a light into the shadow and also recognizing how what we are afraid of might actually be our power. I can't tell you how many women I work with who are afraid of conflict. 
Yeah. To avoid conflict. Finding that if you raise conflict, there's hell to pay. Best to not raise conflict. Um, this is where working with some of the warrior goddesses can be quite helpful. <laughs> mm. um, does that resonate for you at all? It absolutely does. Um, you know, it's it's interesting um, what you said about kind of like our our sometimes our fear can can be when you when you kind of dive into the shadow part or I'm just now I'm talking about myself so for me fear has kind of always been a theme in my life of since a little girl I've had a fear of the dark and um and it's it's been a fear of the unknown but then when I started and I'm more now starting even more so to embrace the fear of the dark and though the unseen it's also the greatest gift it's it's deepened my spiritual practice even more and and um, honoring that there are beings of light and there are beings of lower vibrations and uh, instead of just kind of closing it off which is i feel like for myself it's put a cap on my intuition to or my third eye to be more open or expansive because I'm almost like afraid of what I'll see. So mm-hmm. fear has been, um, for me at least, it's it's been once I've started to work with it, it's been a gift. So I really, what you said does resonate a lot. And, and sometimes the, the biggest struggle can, can mm-hmm. be even something so big as your sole purpose or, or or something that you you know can then teach others once you've overcome it for instance so yeah yes and thank you for sharing you know a bit about your personal um your journey with it um an example for me that i think got it served a purpose in a chapter in my life but I, I had to come to a place where it was, Carmela, this isn't serving you anymore. And that is that I had embraced the warrior goddess. I was marching on Washington for reproductive rights, um, you know, being handcuffed, being gassed, you know, thrown in paddy wagons. You know, I was founding rape crisis centers for for women it, we didn't have one i founded the first rape crisis center in delaware wow. um, in in california in san francisco when i was a feminist therapist you know you need thousands of hours by the way to become a licensed therapist just thousands and among that those thousands of hours i worked at what was then called a battered women's shelter and these are women who are you know, surviving domestic violence and their children. And I was a warrior for them. And I will admit here and now that, yeah, I did stuff that was illegal. It was not unlike the Underground Railroad for slavery. 
You know, I mean, the, it got to the point where the court system was awarding visitation to men who broke women's arms, bashed their faces, hurt them, terribly. <sighs> they had the right to see their children, you know? And the warrior goddess in me was like, no way. You know, I was very much a warrior. And yes, there's a time to be a warrior, but let me tell you, it exhausted me. And I think that embracing that role disallowed me from feeling the gentleness of the goddess, the Kuan Yin in me, the loving compassion, recognizing that these batterers, these violent men had been harmed themselves. You know, they, they had been harmed themselves. Um, I had become so much of a warrior that my sensuality, my, my Aphrodite was suffering. You, you, do you understand what yes. I mean by that? that yes. You know, that I, I, I wasn't the sensual uh, being that I wanted to be. I was so armored is what I'm saying. Sometimes when we take on a role of a goddess and we're out of balance, it can deny us the pleasure of our divine archetype. And she has many faces. Um, so personally speaking, it took me a while to rebalance that, to back off from always being the warrior to embracing the sensuality of the divine feminine, the gentleness that was lacking in me. I needed to reignite that. And working with the goddess archetype, starting, I worked with the Dakinis initially, that was in the 1980s. I started working with the goddesses and they started to come through to remind me that like all of us, we all have an internal counsel. We are not one goddess. If there's anything I hope that we can come away with today is a reminder that you are not one goddess. We all have within us a counsel, if you will. Yeah. It's just that one of those goddesses thinks she's the board of directors and grabs the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, this is so interesting for me, too, because I've known you for years and, you know, we've worked together and we've spent time also, you know, not just always working or, or, or um, practicing yoga. We've spent, we've had wine and, and whatnot. So it's also been casual, but I feel like I'm, I'm learning so much about you and, and it's really, I'm just humbled to have you on the show. It's, Oh, experienced okay. We all so are. Much. Look at you. You're reaching thousands of people. You're designing yoga attire for us to wear that is recycled from the ocean's trash. You know, 
I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. It's so when you do see beauty in someone else, it's a mirror, right? And that's also for our listeners to to remember when they admire someone. It's it's because they have that in them as well, the potential they have. And it's um, and it's upon us to, you know, Richard Miller. Again, you know, I give credit to him as my t- as a teacher. Um, he says something that I, I want to share here. He says, Yoga Nidra teaches us that we are not here to try and change ourselves. It is our journey in this lifetime. We are here to meet ourselves. I love that. And to remember who we are, to come back home to ourselves. We are here to meet ourselves. So when I was only meeting myself as a warrior, I was denying all of these other aspects. And for our listeners today, think about maybe the part of you that you like, that you embrace, that's serving you, But think of the aspects of yourself that you haven't met or become acquainted with that can serve you in another chapter of your life. Um, I know many women who come from the place of their heart. They are identified with their heart chakra. They are identified with, I need to be loving and compassionate. I need to forgive. Certainly. That's beautiful. But is it the energy that serves us when we are out in the workplace where we need to speak up for ourselves? Is loving compassion and forgiveness serving us in the face of inequity, in the face of abuse? Yeah, I mean, we need to meet all aspects of ourselves. And that's where I think that studying the goddess and looking at archetype can really empower us to remind us to meet ourselves in the various aspects of who we are so that we don't limit ourselves. That's to me self-worth. Yeah. Being able to embrace and invite knowledge of all aspects of our being, our shadow, our light, not to just focus on our traumas. Surely we need to heal through trauma. I'm a psychotherapist and I have found that sound healing has done amazing work. People can move through trauma that they have held in their bodies with meditation and sound healing so much more effectively sometimes than talking about it forever. Words leave off where energy and sound healing and yoga can step forth. Has that been your experience at all? Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I feel for me, it's why in the past few years, the chakras have um, 
you know, just are becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of my, my yogic path. Um, which I want to go back just a tiny bit uh, now that we've talked about Richard Miller, your teachers, to um, if you could share about your yogic journey and how you, you, you started practicing yoga and how you became a yoga teacher and about that journey a little bit. Well, I'm very fortunate. I discovered yoga when I was 24 years old. And uh, I was blessed to have a, a beautiful, strong body. I, as I mentioned, I was a trained dancer. But I saw my body as a tool, you know? I mean, I was fierce with my body. Uh, you know, I was doing splits and handstands and all of that. And then I discovered yoga at age 24, and I quickly understood that gentleness needed to be a part of my relationship with my body. And I started practicing with Nick Gregory. This goes out to you, Nikos, my first yoga teacher. We're still friends, by the way. Um, 40 years later, he uh, came to visit me in Sayulita and, and practice yoga with us. Wow. And yeah, yeah. Nick came to Sayulita and, and he's so humble. He didn't want the attention. But I remember Paul, our, our friend from Juicy Bar, you know, Paul said, yeah. Who is this man? Who is, who is this Nick? Who is the? Because he saw that this was a man forty years later who was so flexible and loving, and you know he he witnessed his yoga and he was like, "Ooh!" And I said, "That was my first yoga teacher when I was twenty four. So I started yoga at a young age. The fashion of yoga back then was very much Iyengar. So um, I studied Iyengar yoga um, and, you know, with all of the, the props, the tools, the ropes, yeah. you know, all of that. And then I realized, ooh, this is starting to feel like ballet. I mean, just for me personally, it was bringing up old stuff of rigidity, you know, yes. of perfection. Um, mm -hmm. I actually am old enough that I took classes with Iyengar. I mean, you've been around as long as I have, you know, you get to do a lot of stuff with a lot of these, these masters. And wow. It, and it, his classes felt so much like I was back in ballet, you know, so I let go of that. And I started embracing um, more gentle yoga. And I will say that over the years, restorative yoga, coupled with meditation and crystal bowls and yin yoga. Yin yoga. Oh, I remember your classes, Ava. You really uh, love yin yoga too. I mean, you I taught do. beautiful yin. Yeah? Thank you. <laughs> yin really, and then restorative combined with meditation and sound. That has been my journey. Now, as a, and then when I went to study to become certified with Jean Grant Sutton, uh, I bowed to her, my teacher. I became a yoga therapist with Jean 
And she taught me so much about meeting people where they are, not how they look in the pose. And now when I work with people, I work from that place of what is your body, your soul, your spirit, what chakras are asking for attention. Every asana in yoga, every asana activates a chakra. And so many yoga teachers today are not recognizing that repeated power yoga poses can overly stimulate certain chakras. And that's why some people are left feeling anxious from their yoga instead of whole and relaxed. Has that been your experience? Um, yes. And I, in particular, like I'm really um, into creating classes structured around um, the chakras. So one class is like kind of focusing on one chakra. Um, But I've definitely also had experiences um, when I may feel imbalanced after teaching a chakra class. But I think it's maybe because you know how there is a saying that we always teach what we need. (laughs) Um, It's like, so maybe when when I'm teaching it, it's kind of bringing to the surface something that I uh, need to need to heal. Um, mm-hmm. So, so definitely I've, I've had experiences with, with not always uh, feeling aligned after, um, after teaching, but I think it also comes down to, to what it is being an empath and having boundaries and again, self-worth and kind of, keeping those boundaries so that you're not just um you're allowing a container as you're teaching for everyone else but you're still kind of not uh allowing for or taking any of their energy um into your subtle body if you Uh you know what i mean Uh, because i feel like yes and that is boundaries okay and that is when we're talking about self-worth yeah absolutely so, so much yeah, so having stricter boundaries it's about boundaries and and where do boundaries reside it's the manipura it's the core chakra yeah the core chakra is our western culture would have us believe that it's your willpower you know it's all in your mind you know but In the yogic model, what is the power chakra? It's your solar plexus. It's your manipura, your temple of jewels. That's what it means. Uh, The the sense of self-worth, self-esteem is rooted in our power chakra, our core. You know the expression, um, you, you're so good with languages. My goodness, I wish I could speak the languages. <laughs> I can only tell you in English that the expression is trusting your gut, yeah. your gut wisdom. Yes. Where is your gut wisdom? It's your core. It's your core. And, and I think if there's any practice 
that is going to bring women and men into balance with their power. It's to be reminded to trust your gut. Absolutely. To Absolutely. Picture the golden light that is your core. To, to practice yoga that, yes, strengthens your core, but I'm not talking about abs here. You know, the, the focus on abs is just, mm. I'm talking about. Well, that's about, ego then. That's an overactive. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we do, I know that you attended some of the ceremonies I did um, to honor the equinoxes, to honor the solstices. Think about the solstice, winter solstice. It's a time to get fired up. What is the element that is the core, you know, power chakra? Fire. Yes. Fire. And and I think for many of us, our fire has gone out. It's been, it's been, uh, we're smoking, but, but we're not on fire. And I think that's what the energy of self-worth, self-esteem is to get fired up. You know, to get fired up with a sense of trusting your gut. I, I'm working with an interesting client now, um, and she was telling me that the more she speaks up, the more she confronts, the more that she... In the business world, she runs a pain management center, by the way. I mean, she has a pretty powerful job. But with her family speaking up, the more that she speaks up and says, no, this is not the direction I wish to go. No, my boundary, I do not accept this. Her stomach issues, she was experiencing all kinds of irritable bowel syndrome, ulcers. Do you know that in the past year, those symptoms have dissipated? They've gone away. Her gut has been empowered and her physical being reflects that. And I think it's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so powerful now that also Western medicine is uh, now uh, recognizing uh, mind-body connection and the psychosomatic um, uh, stresses that that we experience, um, so like anxiety and stress. And 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 uh, I'm sure slowly. You know, there will be also more because I feel like a lot of people still need that kind of scientific evidence in, in order to, yeah. uh, to 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 trust practices. But, um, uh, you know, it's there's more and more studies all the time that are recognizing the connection. So uh, which is something this ancient tradi- tradition has, has known for years. But, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um I want to ask still a bit more about kind of the divine feminine. I know we, we've talked about this already um, and, you know, the, the work you do, uh, card readings, but, and, but if you can just unpack a little bit more about how you, um, or if there's anything else, I know you've shared already so much about how the divine feminine and the goddess archetype, um, how they became 
the practice for you or the, the journey, the path, um, and the work you do today. If there's anything else you still want to share about the journey. The goddess was first. The, the usurping of the divine feminine historically over thousands of years has been a degradation of the divine feminine. God, so to speak, was female. Witches, so-called witches, were herbologists. They were midwives. They were healers. They were taken out of power when male dominance came into being. An example would be Easter. You know, the goddess Wes Ostara, the goddess Westre, which is where the word Easter comes from. Yes? She was revered. She was the most celebrated spring goddess of fertility. Her, her animal, by the way, is the rabbit, and her symbol was the egg. So in comes Catholicism. Men take over, and they say, no, now this is going, Easter is going to be the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, they couldn't disavow the power that already existed with Westra. So why do you think for Easter now we have eggs and we have rabbits, you know? Mm, yeah. These are vestiges that are left over from the, the goddess. So I think it's important to remember that that so often people say to me, well, isn't this goddess stuff just for women? Why? Why is that? Um, it, it seems acceptable that male gods, Jesus Christ, Buddha, um, Allah, are male figures, but yet women were called upon to worship them. Yeah? When in reality, it, the goddess was first. She was the... It used to be before people realized what men's role was, you know, in creating babies. Women were revered for giving birth, and you know, no one even thought men had anything to do with it. It wasn't understood. It, I mean, there's so much to learn about the divestment of the divine feminine because of male dominance. And I think that at this time in history, now we're seeing the reemergence and the re-empowering of women coming back to more of a balance. And I think that's what's so important to remember, that the divine feminine is and always has been present in the universe. And I think that's something that in our practice for us to remember that it's not up to us to be more male. It's, it's upon us to balance the divine feminine, both within men and women. So I, I see it also from a sociological, historical perspective and then that comes down into our personal practice. 
I I could talk for hours about this. I'm trying to <laughs> think. Um, no, I love it. I love it. You have so much intel. There's so much to learn. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, many of the goddesses who were, um, you know, who had their powers. I mean, Celtic. I work with Celtic goddesses, Egyptian goddesses. Mawu is the mother earth of the West Africans. Um, we have La Sirena, the, the mermaid goddess who dives deeply into the unconscious. And these goddesses were transformed as lesser, you know, so that they could be confined within male dominated culture. So this disempowerment of the divine feminine has been happening for thousands of years and it's political, you know, and so let's not confuse that with religion. Um, it's political and it's power. So when we can reclaim the mermaid within us, when we can reclaim Athena, she was worshipped as a goddess of war strategy. But Athena in and of herself is very helpful to us women when we need to create schedules and we need to strategize our business plan. We call upon Athena. Yeah. Um, wow. Now, Thank Not you for because sharing we're that. going off to war like the Romans, but because we are organizing our lives and we recognize I need to call in some Athena on this. Yeah. Mm. That really resonates with me. I need to call upon Athena <laughs> definitely with, with uh, my work. It's, yeah. it's so, it's just, it's again, like synchronicity and, and, talking with you and, and being reminded of, of all these archetypes and spirit and source, and there is, you know, there is uh, guidance and direction. We just have to ask for it. So, um, and it's yeah. within you. Yes. Think of it. I, when I work with clients and do readings, I always say the wisdom is within you. The goddess and archetypes are present within you. I, when I do these readings, I'm just a transmitter. And the cards are just symbols. But the wisdom is within you. And so often what happens with us, all of us, I worked with, I work with a man here in town and it's fascinating to work with him. Um, and uh, I'll maintain confidentiality, but one of the cards that keeps coming up for him is Una. And Una is back off. Una is slow down. Una advised her people in Ireland to transform themselves into leprechauns and to be magical beings, not to fight a battle that they would lose. Sometimes the wisdom within us is saying, back off, slow down. That wisdom is within you. It's just summoning that, that wisdom so that she speaks up. Because again, as I've said earlier, I think sometimes we have all of this wisdom within us, but one of them's got the microphone. <laughs> and it's time to listen 
to what the other wisdom within us is maybe whispering. And how do we hear the whisper of wisdom? I think it's we quiet down. We shift away from doing to listening. Yeah. And more beingness, more being than doing. And that's also, I feel, more feminine energy to be and through that then create instead of the pushing and the action or the active, um, you can still, sorry, lingo, get shit done, but instead of kind of like forcing or, or pushing through, it can be. Timing. Yeah. I, I did a, a course in intensive this winter during COVID because um, I let, let me be honest here, um, you know, when we're looking, when we're looking at doshas, you know, I'm a pitta, you know, I'm a pitta, you know, I'm fiery. I'm, I'm definitely fiery, you know, and so on a good day, that serves me well. As you say, I get shit done. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But my pitta was so thwarted by COVID that I was, I was in a little whirlwind of just burning myself up with Pitta energy with no place to direct it. You know, I mean, I felt thwarted. So I signed up for an online class with Ariel Spielsberg. She's amazing. And what we did is we followed a moon cycle. We started with the new moon and the goddesses associated with new moon. Then we moved on to the the waxing moon. There's goddess energy associated with that, with the buildup, the preparation. Then we have the full moon goddesses. Those are usually about loving and receptivity and opening. But then remember, the moon, she wanes, she starts to diminish. There's goddess energy associated with that. So the goddess archetype, when synchronized with moon cycle awareness, can be very powerful around, yes, we want to get things done, but why push it when the timing isn't right? Yeah, we're cyclical beings. We are. So I think that's sometimes where it feels, you know, the expression to go with the flow. Mm. Well, it doesn't mean we're wishy-washy, but if we can divert our flow around the rock in the river instead of forcing ourselves over it, might be more effective. And I think this is where the convergence of moon, and I know you practice moon ceremonies. I know you do that. And I Mm -hmm. know you recognize chakras. So if we can integrate the archetypal wisdom of the cycle of life, 
I think that's where the power is with the goddesses. It's not all about Kali. You know, it's not all about creation and destruction. <laughs> yeah. Um, my male client keeps drawing Unat and, and, and he, he keeps fighting it and saying, back off. No, I need to get this case solved. I need, I go, mm, the timing doesn't seem to be right right now. And she keeps coming through. And just as a good outcome to that, he held back. And do you know that this lawsuit and the situation he was facing, he backed off. He hired another representative to navigate on a different timeline, and victory was his. Had he pushed and pushed and pushed, it wasn't working. But the message to back off, slow down, that's not what Western culture tells us. You know, it, it's more of a Kali energy, you know? Um, do, 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 yeah. Yeah, wipe this out for a new beginning. And, and, and there's a place for Kali, uh, no doubt about it. But we can't allow Kali to be our day in and day out wisdom. You know, uh, we're going to be constantly destroying in order to create. Uh, so Albert Einstein said, no problem can be solved from the same consciousness that created it. We must learn to see the world anew. And I think that's where we're at, where the goddesses can serve us and where yoga nidra can serve us. To hold the consciousness that created it, whatever the situation is, and then to be able to hold the vision of seeing it differently and anew. So when did Yoga Nidra for you become so important? Ah, see, do we have time for me to tell you this story? Okay. <laughs> we have time. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're just, we we're done an hour now and we can go for, uh, on a, for a little bit more. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a biggie. I had been practicing with shamans. I had been a, you know, a yoga therapist. I, I had done a lot of things, all right? And then um, in my late 40s, I was assaulted by a man whom I did not know, a man who suffers with uh, drug addiction. Uh, I believe his drug of choice was crystal meth. And he had 11 priors of violence against women. I did not know him. I was out in Santa, I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a while. I enjoyed living in Santa Fe, did a lot of good work with shamans there. And I was assaulted by him from behind. He kicked me with big black leather boots. He kicked me in my head. He kicked me in my lower spine. He kicked me into unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. I was taken to the emergency room. Um, I was in intensive care and I was blind. 
um, my optic nerve had been so damaged that uh, I was blind and my head was swollen. Now, I had a lot of other injuries, a dislocated hip and other physical injuries as a result of this. But I am here to tell you that the thing that frightened me more than anything from this was my loss of vision. And I lost my job. I lost my lover who lost patience with the process. He was like, well, when are you ever going to get this to, you know, get it together, right? I lost my job because I obviously was using a walker. Um, I was in a lot of pain and I was blind. And I would get little glimpses of vision and I would think, oh, my vision is back. And then it would go away again. So I started working with a shaman, Sandra Ingerman. Thank you. She's a specialist in traumatic uh, injury. She's a psychotherapist I knew from San Francisco, but she's also a shaman and she's quite famous now. You can go to Sandra Ingerman and see her many presentations um, on Shift Network is where you can tune in, shift.com. And I went to her and I did a journey and I did soul retrieval. And I, I brought back some of my soul that I had lost from this injury. So time had gone on where I was still blind and it was six months. And uh, I'm not going to pretend that I was losing hope. And I, and Ava, I couldn't drive. So therefore, I had to ride the bus to go to all my doctor's appointments. And you know what I mean? I had to ride the public, the bus for the disabled folks, right? I'm in the bin now with big black glasses on my eyeballs. I've got a walker. I mean, believe me, I, I was looking a little rough here. One day I was riding the bus and most of the people on the bus were disabled mentally, physically. Many of them were Vietnam vets. And one day I was seated next to a guy named Jimmy. And I said, where are you going today, Jimmy? And he goes, I'm going to a yoga class. I said, wow, great for you. I go, I'm a yoga teacher. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, Jesus Christ, you don't look like one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that's a quote. That's what he said. And, and, and I went, yeah, well, yeah, life happens, you know, how, yeah. how long is it? And I go, tell me about the yoga you're going to. He goes, it's amazing. We go to the vet center. He goes, I'm a vet. He goes, and we all lie down on the floor. And this doctor, he's a doctor of psychology and he's a yoga teacher and he talks. He goes, and every time I go to this class, I can sleep through the night. Mm -hmm. He said, none of these meds they're giving me for my pain for this. He goes, I keep waking up with terror and visions of the war. He goes, Carmela, I haven't slept through the night until I went to this yoga class 
with this man. And I said, wow, I'll go with you next week. I have an appointment today, but when is it? So I signed up. I got on the bus with Jimmy. I went to this drafty veterans building. I mean, it was like, Ava, it was no yoga palapa like you and I have become accustomed. I mean, there were no mats. There was no, it it was a drafty cold. They they pulled the folding chairs aside and in Mm. comes this bald headed, soft spoken man who says, welcome everyone. I'm Richard Miller. And I'm here to guide you on a yoga nidra meditation. Get comfortable as you can. If you'd rather sit, did you bring a blanket or a pillow? We have some. And I did yoga nidra for the first time in my life with Richard Miller, surrounded by Vietnam vets. I was using a walker and I couldn't get on the floor. I was blind. And he took me to my inner resource. He reminded me that I am a soul with a body. He invited me to go to my greatest fear. And what did it look like? What did it feel like? He invited me to travel to the opposite of that, which for me was vision. He invited me to open my heart to loving myself. He invited me to release what was holding me back from healing, which for me was anger. Let me tell you, I was angry at that. Yeah. I was very angry. And you know what, Ava? Anger doesn't heal anything. Okay. He invited me to do this. And when the time was up, I went home and I was able to get a little bit of relief. I was able to sleep and I didn't have flashbacks. And that was my introduction to integrative restoration yoga nidra. And I vowed that when I got better, I was going to teach that. Took a few years, but that was a long time ago. That was over 20 some years ago, and I've been teaching it ever since. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, What an experience. and, And, you know, what we talked about previously about having something even something horrific and turning it around and and making it your gift and being of service and then sharing that light with others that's what you're doing how powerful lovely that you you get that it yeah what you said is so true you know sometimes what is the the worst thing that can happen to us we think is a gift that that gave us and 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 look my vision is back you met me and when you met me i was in my 60s teaching yoga you know so my body came back to me my strength my vision came back 
But I, but what I've never forgotten was the hopelessness and the fear and the pain that that we need to remember others have. You know, we have suffered traumas, all of us. So that's something that the goddesses can also help us with. That to be able to recognize that our shadow is our gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only have a couple more questions and then we're going to start to slowly wrap this up. I feel like I could talk with you for hours and hours and hours. There's so much, you have so much to share. It's really beautiful to be on the receiving end. You're just like, hearing your stories, your wisdom. It's, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. I'm, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else right now than here listening to you. It's really, really powerful. Well, um, dear one, my gratitude to you for creating this platform. To you and Julia, for creating this platform for sharing and inviting people to share. And your wisdom and what you ask, what you see, it's, you know, connecting the dots for folks to be able to be able to go, aha, and to see new patterns. You are giving a great gift to all of us. So thank you for what you're doing. It's important work. Thank you. I know you have such a deep, profound, strong connection to spirit and you do goddess card readings, you meditate, asana, you have at home altar and you do ceremonies and we've talked about the equinoxes and solstices, you work with clients from all over and um, you have a strong community around you with people within the, the spiritual community. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you know, some of our listeners might be very new to even spirituality, yoga, um, and tapping into kind of their own wisdom, their, their truth, uh, their soul. Do you have any, any kind of tips, any tools, something maybe simple that someone very new to the, these practices, where to start from? What can someone do? Something simple. Okay. Start by knowing you are the divine feminine. You don't need to dress in a certain way. You don't need crystals. You don't need goddess garb. You don't need any of that. Begin with recognizing that you are divine. You are part of creation. You are as much a part of creation as the stars in the sky, the trees on the earth, the birds of the sky. You are part of creation. Begin there. Begin with cultivating a connection with nature. Yes. Create a home altar. People forever have created altars. It can just be a seashell that reminds you of a day on the beach that brings you into touch with the water element. 
put out a little place in your home where you put elements that remind you of who you are, that empower you. Light a candle. Bring the fire element. Have a bowl of salt water to remind you that you are 70% water, just like Mother Earth. She's 70% water. So are you. Have a photograph of you, maybe, where it reminds you of your joy. Don't forget to celebrate your joy. Um, make a little altar that is a visual representation of a reminder of who you are. Uh, keep a journal. A gratitude journal is a lovely place to begin. Instead of thinking of all of the things that you're not, remember to remind yourself of who you are. Uh, I think a gratitude journal every day, writing, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to do, seven items, ten things, every day write down what you're grateful for about yourself too. Don't be so modest. Things about yourself, things about your life, people in your life. Gratitude for the air you breathe, gratitude for your loved ones, for the food on your table. I think a place to begin is to recognize the divine in you, to celebrate being alive, to laugh for one minute straight, no matter what. <laughs> I love your laughter. <laughs> yes. I love it. Laughter is free. It opens up your joy channels to your brain. Begin with laughter, a journal, a home altar. Um, start to see the divine in yourself. Identify that you are part of everything. And then... <coughs> Allow yourself to be guided to a teacher. You know, invite a teacher into your life. It could be a dog. It could be your cat. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be a yoga teacher. It could be someone who does goddess card readings. It could be anyone. But open yourself to inviting a teacher and teachers into your life. Um, now with Zoom and with COVID, there is a lot available online so that if you feel a little reticent about going to a yoga class or really in a way, uh, the internet and Zoom and the world is available to you in your privacy of your home that maybe you can sign up and explore. I learned so much taking that online course, tracking the moon cycle every day, you know, and I did that by myself. Um, so maybe do that. 
But get grounded, take a walk, look to the sky. After you do your gratitude journal, maybe you'll be ready to sit. Don't make meditation too tough either. My view is sit on a pillow and say, I'm going to do it for one minute and empty my mind. One minute. We start with a breath at a time. Are these the sort of things that are helpful or? Yes, these are amazing. And and I feel like there are so many different, many different tools and practices. I really, the gratitude list and the journaling prompt and, and appreciation um, are really also good for manifestation because like attracts like. And, and yeah, it's a, such a powerful practice and, and all of it. Um, and I feel like the home altar, I feel like you, uh, I even have a, a memory of that. I, 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 you told me to create a home altar, like you introduced altars to me. Well, I appreciate hearing that. And remember, an altar is a changing living entity. It's not like we just have an altar. You know, I ch it changes. Like when I want to invite more fluidity, when I feel that I'm getting a little rigid, I will, I will put fresh water in a bowl and I will bring more of the water element in. Yeah. When I'm feeling that I need to get fired up a little bit, starting to get a little bit depressed, a little bit withdrawn, I will add candles and I'll fire that up. You know, if you want to draw in cat energy, I have cat got, you know, I have cats on my on my uh, altar. To me, they're supreme beings that really teach us how to relax and then jump into action. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it's the winter and you need um, different energy. In the springtime, when you're ready for more action, maybe live flowers, you know, on your... So our altars are always changing. Uh, don't think of them as... Um, as a static home decoration they're like love you want to attract love put out your pink crystals you know mm -hmm. meditate on attracting love to you a lover you know i'm working with a client now who's looking to become pregnant she's looking for fertility so she has the goddesses of fertility exhibited and she and her partner every day they light a candle together to invite a soul to come to them on their home altar so our altars are manifestations that we work with in the physical yes. world with a higher intention and in every and i bet you everybody has little informal altars already don't don't we all have like little little collections that we have that make us feel good right and maybe just people aren't even aware of them um same way we have rituals and and people are maybe not aware of these rituals and and yeah mm -hmm. um so you, I just want to let our listeners also know that you do goddess card readings um, and you do them, you can do them via Zoom and Skype. 
Um, but what other offerings do you do? Um, or what could you maybe offer our listeners? You're now based in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico. We met in Sayulita. Um, and uh, what's on the horizon also for you in your future? And yeah. Well, um, uh, this, this goddess needs to uh, work more with working online, you know, Zoom and, mm. and working. I've done Skype for years. I work on the telephone. I have clients in Amsterdam, London, Italy, California, here in Mexico. My practice used to be, as you know, so much more present. I would have gatherings of people in my home and lead crystal bowl sound healings and teach in yoga studios. And oh, and by the way, listeners, Ava's the one who turned me on to doing wedding ceremonies. For seven years, I performed wedding ceremonies with crystal bowls. But with COVID right now, um, what's on the horizon for me is to refine my uh, intuitive skills, which the goddesses are coming through. Um, and I do counseling sessions, which includes always a goddess card. Um, and I'm going into a professional recording studio here in San Miguel. I'm working with a producer. Um, he's going to set me up to do a series of guided meditations, which will include the goddesses uh, and the chakras. The chakras and the goddesses will be included in a guided meditation with crystal bowls. And I intend to do those at a professional quality that I will gift to clients who work with me. So that's what I'm working on right now. And so I only have one last question, but I kind of, well, I, I do want to, I know we were already like one, what well, it's been like an hour and a half, but I wonder, I do have one other question I'd love to ask you. I'm wondering how long uh, it's going to be, but I think it's really, it would be interesting for our listeners also to know now that we've mentioned that you, that, you know, we met in Sayulita and you're based in San Miguel de Allende now, that what brought you to Mexico? So I wonder um, if you can, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. Do you have, <laughs> do you want to maybe, I don't know how you are in time or. Well, Mexico has been my teacher. Um, yeah. I started uh, coming to Mexico, oh, gee, you know, uh, decades and decades ago, you know, 40-some years. The, I love the beach, and as I've already told you, I'm a former surfer, so I yeah. love that. But in the context of spiritual practice, I was drawn to Mexico for Day of the Dead, I worked with death and dying um, with, with hospice in the United States. And that was a chapter in my life, too. But I lived through an era in my life where my friends were dying with AIDS. And I was inconsolable. I, I was only in my 30s. And my friends were dying, like all around me. Um, I lived in San Francisco. And uh, for many of you, you know that, you know, when AIDS happened, we, we didn't know, we, we didn't know, and, and people were dying. And I learned about Dias de los Muertos. 
And I embraced this as a way to celebrate um, my loved ones and to put out little things for them. You know, I would roll joints and put them out there on the mm. altar to honor them. I put out their favorite food, um, you know, glasses of wine, shots of tequila, sequined headdresses. Um, like I say, many of my friends were gay and I was part of a gay theater group at the time. And it brought me such comfort to, to host Dias de los Muertos celebrations and serve the foods that they loved and toast them. So Mexico, though I had known Mexico as a beach and surf destination, shifted for me as a teacher. And then I started traveling to places in Mexico where there are authentic Dia de los Muertos celebrations. So Mexico has been a teacher for me about altars. Here they're called ofrendas. You make an ofrenda. Um, so I taught workshops on uh, how to create ofrendas in the U.S., turning people onto it as a way to celebrate our dear dead ones um, with joy. So um, Mexico drew me to her for healing and altar building, really. So that's part of it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so this is how we wrap up every single episode and, and can't wait to do it with you as well. I know um, we addressed this already a little bit or you, you kind of addressed this already a little bit, but to wrap this whole episode up, my final and last question to you, Carmela, what does self-worth mean to you? Wow. Self-worth is loving ourselves enough to say no to that which does not serve us. Self-worth is honoring boundaries without guilt or shame. Self-worth to me is having the creativity and the ability to respond to that which goes on around us and to practice discernment, to choose from the many possibilities of feelings, actions, reactions, responses, so that we can choose to respond as an expression of the power and the passion that is us. Thank you so much, Carmela. This has been so expansive, inspirational and informative. I really, really, really can't wait to share this wisdom with all of our listeners. So thank you to you listeners for having tuned back in and, uh, and uh, make sure to leave us a review and share this episode with anyone and everyone you think that can benefit from hearing the medicine of this episode. Thank you. And goodbye. Oh. Namaste, Eva. 
Great to Namaste. connect with you again. Likewise. Bye-bye. Much love to Here you. you